This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. I was uh, preparing for this message, and um, I know what the Lord gave me in my heart this this um, year, because I, when I tell you that Arise was not on my <laughs> radar, it was not on my radar. I was going a whole other direction. I said, no, <laughs> go that direction. I said, okay, this is right at the end of the year. And, um, and I told you the last, uh, I think it was last Sunday, the Sunday before, that we start, we went towards Isaiah chapter 60, and that's where the Lord really began to minister to me as related to what he wanted to do for his people and for his church. And I don't mean impact by itself, I mean his church global, and, um, and it began to really hit me, and then, and then he began to take me further to where I'm getting ready to go today. And so it just sort of reminds me of, as I was preparing, thinking about where I'm going, I began to think about when I first came here to Georgia, and I was, I think I was teaching fifth grade, and, and they had this trip at this school I was at in Cobb County that would always go to um, Rock Eagle. How many of y'all have heard of Rock Eagle before? Okay, yeah, and so it was the first for me. I was new to Georgia, and, um, and, but this school went annually, and so my first year there, they were like, well, we do this, and the kids love it, da 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 and it's an overnight trip, and, you know, I think we stayed three days and two nights or whatever in cabins. It was really actually really enjoyable time, even for an adult. And so we did a lot of different things, but one thing that they had there that was interesting that you don't really get to see in many places is they had um, a cemetery, you know, so it's like this old cemetery that's there, and you could see, you know, who lived when and this kind of their names and stuff. And then you also went across to the other side, and there was a slave cemetery. And so that was, like, really unique. That was, like, you know, I never saw that before. And so I'm, I'm looking, and, and so the slave cemetery, they didn't have the headstones and all those other things. They just had little markings that show that there's a body here, there's a body there, there's a body there. But you knew something about them, even without a headstone. You knew that these people were connected to those people. Are you with me? And it's amazing because there's nothing really there. I mean, I'm sure if you dug up the most, you might find some remains of bones. But it's amazing what you can find out when you go looking at a place full of bones. And then my brother was telling me recently how he, um, he, you know, he was finishing up his doctorate this year, and he was writing on some stuff and doing some research and community organizing, all that good stuff. But when he was getting more information about where his church is located, which is in Brooklyn, New York, um, he said, you'll never guess where I got so much information from. I said, well, where'd you get it? He said, I got so much information. I've been in this place for 20-something, almost 30 years. He said, but I learned so much about our community. I said, how did you do that? He said, I went to the cemetery. It's amazing what you can find out from going to a cemetery about what was. And so he goes there, and he, I mean, stuff I didn't know. I mean, you wouldn't think that, if I'm just sharing some quick information, you would never think that East New York uh, at one point was 30% slaves, would you, in Brooklyn, not the South. So you wouldn't know that, right? So he's just giving me all his history and stuff. I said, it's not something that you could find out just by stopping by at a cemetery, visiting a place full of bones. You know, because in all those places, it tells a story. It tells a story. It can tell a story of how you lived, who you were connected to, 
what you did with your life, what you didn't do with your life. My dad, is, he's buried uh, in Georgia, another part, but he's in a military place, right? So it tells, if you didn't know anything about him, just by going with a, yeah. you would know that he was connected to the, because there's a story behind that, you know? And, and I begin to think about, because of where I'm going, that we often forget or overlook, I should say, that there's often a story behind the bones, Speaking of, would you bring out some for us this morning? Roll him out. He can't walk anymore, y'all. He, he, he. Sometimes you learn about a community when you go to a place that has bones. You can bring him right on over here. Sometimes you, you learn about the community when you, if you went to Rock Eagle and even in Georgia, you'd learn about that area. If you went to Parts of New York, you learn about that. Or wherever you go, it doesn't even matter. Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> the glasses is magnified. It just, but anyway. And so you learn. But then if you just stop sometimes when you look at individuals, you can learn a lot about an individual because bones tell a story. Now, I don't know this gentleman or, or lady. I'm not sure who or what. Let it go. All right, let it go. I'm going to let it go then. But I know that if these bones could speak, they would tell a story. They would tell where this person lived. They would tell this person, they would tell when the person was born. They would tell where this person was raised up at or trained up at, what school they went to. They would tell how close they were with their family, what they brought into their community, what they received back from the community. They would tell about the person's faith or lack of faith. They would tell about the person's vocation, what they put their time into. It would tell about the hobbies and the things that were most important. It would tell about if he or she had children or grandchildren or aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. These bones could tell a story. Y'all ain't saying nothing. And then I thought about Joseph, if you've been reading the Bible plan every day. How many of y'all been in that? Stay with it. Yeah, because at the end of Joseph's story and at the end of Genesis, his father passes, and he says, um, he tells his sons, he said, when you leave here, not if, but when the Lord brings you up out of Egypt, you make sure you take my bones with you. Take it into Canaan. Take my bones into the promised land. Even though I'm still not here, do you understand that even, even though I'm dead, I, I understand that even in my death, my bones tell a story. And I don't want folks to think that my story ended in exile. I want folks to think that my story ended in Egypt. I don't want folks to think that my story ended outside of the perfect will of God. But I want folks to know that these bones tell a story about a God who's faithful and that one day he's going to raise you up and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and you're going to leave this place called Egypt and he's going to bring you to a land that's flow with milk and honey and you're going to be back as a delightful people unto the Lord yourself that worships God and him only. When you leave this place... Take my bones. Why? Because my bones can tell a story. Bones sometimes tell a story. There's a story behind these bones. And the truth of the matter is, we all have bones in our lives. Because see, these bones represent the things in our lives that are dead. The things in our lives that are disjointed, that are disconnected, the things in our lives that are falling apart, the things in our lives that were once vibrant and full of life, but now in, in this moment in time, I don't see the life, I don't see the vibrancy that it once had. And we all have bones in our 
lives, in our individual lives. We have lifeless areas. We have lifeless relationships. We have sometimes failing health, things that are no longer vibrant in our lives. We all have bones. Sometimes it's lifeless faith, that once there was a, a faith that was vibrant in me, once I was on fire for God, and once you couldn't stop me from going to church, and you couldn't stop me from praying, and you couldn't stop me from running to the altar, and you couldn't stop me from lifting my hands, but now it takes a little more energy, it takes a little more push, it takes a little more motivation, it's, just, it's a little harder, it's not as, I'm not as excited about opening up my Bible, I'm not as excited about getting together with the saints. There was a time that I had a faith that was alive and vibrant, but right now I got bones. We all have bones in our lives, areas of our life that were vibrant, past tense, that were full of life. And then when you look at bones, and some of y'all will go home today and look at bones in your house of what was. And you'll know it's bones because whenever you see bones, it's not like, oh, it ain't that bad. It's like, Oh, that's not repairable. Mm, that's hopeless. Bones. And so what I'm going to be talking to you about this morning a bit is you're going to hear a little bit about what God can do with the dry bones in your life. The things that you have lost hope. The things that you have given up. The things that seem useless. The things that seem like it will never come to a place of beautification again or restoration. The things that have deteriorated in your life. I'm going to talk to you this morning about what God not only will do and can do with the bones in your life, but I'm going to say what God will do with the bones in his family. We're going to go back, and you, I want to connect a quick dot real quick, because sometimes when we read, and one day I'm going to get to this, we thought we were going to do it right before the pandemic, believe it or not. A lot, several of us went to a seminar, and we can kind of connect how the Bible flows. Sometimes when you're reading, as an example, when you're reading Ezekiel, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, you don't realize that a lot of those things are happening at the same time as other parts of the Bible. It's, so there's a lot of interweaving because it's not in sequential order. It's in, it's in a different order. We'll talk about that another time. So I'm going to connect this dot for you that what I'm about to read for you in Ezekiel is during the same time period we've been talking about in Isaiah. You follow me? So if you've been part of the sermon series, you know that Israel got in trouble. They disobeyed God. They broke their covenant through idolatry. That means putting something before God. So they put all these things before God, and God said, okay, then cool, you're out of covenant. I told you last week that Fred Hammond taught us about being blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Y'all know that one, right? And then, but if you keep reading Deuteronomy 28, the covenant said, yeah, if you obey, but when you disobey, you'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field. It goes to all the curses, exact opposite. And so when you see Israel in this state that we've been talking about Israel, when you see God's people, God's chosen people in this state where they're separated from their land, they're no longer blessed in the promised land, blessed in the covenant, they're separated from it, and they're in exile. And I use the illustration for all of the parents and aunties and uncles and grandparents out there who understand what it's like when your child misbehaves. And so sometimes we use this thing called time out. So God said, oh, you want to cut a fool? I'm going to send you to time out. And so when you're in that kind of position, because, you know, ours is not quite 70 years. <laughs> but when you're in time out for quite a while, it can be very discouraging. And you can think things will never happen. It will never come out together. You can think that God has cut you off. And so Israel is in this dark period of its history. It's in this dark place with its faith. 
toward God. It's separated, even watch this, from each other. A lot of folks don't realize when Israel was brought out of and put into exile, it wasn't like they said, all of Israel, come over here. We're going to put you all on the same side of town. It would be like us saying, you know what? It would be like us saying, we're going to divide all the folks that are inside this building and separate you all across Georgia. So you don't have the connection that you would have had with that person that you grew up with or this person that was another part of your family or this person that was in the tribe of Dan and you in the tribe of Judah. You don't see them anymore because you're all disjointed all across exile land in Babylonia. Are you with me? All right. Y'all don't mind if I teach, right? Y'all acting like you're hungry. I'm trying to hurry. I'm, I know y'all want to eat, but I'm trying to get y'all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's talk. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He had me pass among them all around, and behold, they, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Somebody said very dry. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you yourself know. And again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. Behold, I'm going to make breath into you so that you may come to life. And I will attach tendons to you. Make flesh grow back on you. Cover you with skin. He's about to shout right over here. I don't know. And put breath in you so that you may come to life. And you will know that I am the Lord. My God. So we're in Ezekiel 37, and Ezekiel 37 is best understood when you keep in mind Ezekiel 36. <laughs> and what Ezekiel 36 is, is where Ezekiel is, is getting a word from God, and he prophesies that Israel will be restored under David, my servant, who will be king over them, essentially referencing David's seed, which is who? Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. All right. So he promises them, despite where they are right now, despite being in the worst possible place they can be in as a nation, in exile, scattered, disjointed, disconnected, and without hope, that this is not the end for you. Look at your name and say, this ain't the end for you. So God said, all right, let me, let, I got to make this plain because I'm going to use my prophet because the prophet is God's spokesperson, right? So I'm going to use my prophet to speak to the house of Israel, to my people, and to tell them that this is not the end of the road, this is not where it stops, that there's still more. So I'm going to take them on a field trip. So God said, let me just pick you up and take you on a field trip. I'm going to give you a vision. And what God does is he takes Ezekiel into a valley, and he shows them a vision. Now, when God showed him a vision, it didn't come with spit. If it went over your head, just let it go. <laughs> not included. So he said, I'm going to show you a vision. He says, look at those bones. Now let me explain what he's seeing. This is not just like a few bones. It's bones beyond belief. It's, it's a multitude of bones. And it's, it, it, what he's essentially seeing is an open grave. 
these bones are there and they are they're not buried but they might as well be because they're just out in an open and an unmarked grave and what God says is that these bones represent the whole house of Israel and what God is showing Ezekiel is my intention with these bones is to bring these lifeless dead disjointed bones that have no life back together again and do something amazing with it. Ain't that something that God can do there, that God has the ability to take what's been broken, broken lives and broken dreams and broken promises of your life and take all the broken pieces and put it back together again and make something beautiful out of it. I tell you, if Humpty Dumpty had known Jesus. Mm. And Ezekiel says, these bones, God says to Ezekiel, these bones will come together with flesh. It's very descriptive. Tendons, skin. And it goes on, you'll see, I'm, I'm being this text next week too, to rise up on their feet or to arise, and there arose a great army. And it's interesting because the next thing I need to point out to you, and y'all stick with me because I'm going someplace. They weren't just bones. That's not what it said. He said, the Lord took me on a vision. He took me on a field trip, and he showed me bones, a, a valley full of bones. And he says it this way. He says that not only is a valley full of bones, he said, but the bones themselves were very dry. Somebody shout very dry. Because this is, um, this is, you got to catch this part right here. Which tells us something. <clears throat> It tells us that the bones have been in that place for a very long time. Y'all yes. know, if you were like me when I was little, we used to, uh, my mother used to give us, me and my brother David, the, uh, the wishbone from the chicken. Yes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. And we would sit there and bet who was going to get the bigger, you know, when you break it off. Uh -huh. But one thing about it is if you let it dry out, it, it just just like it broke just like that. You know the difference between a bone that's just a bone, and you know the difference between a bone that's a very dry bone. And the difference between the two is time. Because it takes time for a bone to become, and it takes even more time for a bone to become very dry. I'm going someplace. So I said, huh, this is interesting. So I entered my search, my search engine. Google. I said, okay, well, let's, let's find out about these bones and how long does it take for bones, for the human bone to dry out? And science tells us by 50 years, your tissues liquefy and disappear. So, no, that's encouraging. <laughs> but, but between year 50 and 80, your skin and tendons disintegrate. And that was the exact word it put, skin and tendons. That same part that Ezekiel mentioned. I thought that was interesting. And after 80 years, bones begin to crack and deteriorate. And I said, that is so interesting because Israel was in Egyptian exile for 70 years. <laughs> I said, God is amazing to me. So God is essentially saying, I know what state you're in. I understand that you didn't just, this is not just somebody who just passed away yesterday. This is not something that just happened the day before. This is not something that, that was a recent event, but this is something that has happened over a span of time. And so what is it that you're trying to get across? 
And, and what I want you to understand is when you read about this particular text, we would jump to think it's talking about death, and it's not talking about death. This is not a, a text about the death of Israel or the death of something in your life. This text is not focused on death. It's focused on decay. Because it's not just about something that happened overnight, but something that happened over time. And what I need you to understand this morning is that it, things don't decay in our lives overnight, but over time. And, and that's the era we're talking about right now. We're not talking about what happened yesterday. I'm not talking about what happened the month before. I'm not just talking about what happened in the pandemic. But God wants to speak a word to something that's decayed in your life, not overnight, but over time. Because here's what I know. Relationships don't die overnight. They die over time. They decay over time. Communities don't decay overnight. They decay over time. The passion that you have when you first got saved, it don't decay overnight. It decays over time. Son of man, can, can these bones live? If God was referring to can something dead come back alive, Ezekiel would have known about 1 Kings chapter 17 when the woman's son passed away and Elijah raised him back up. He would have known that. If the text was about death, he would have also known about the Shumanite woman's son who, got, who the prophet raised from dead. He would have known that that which is dead can come back. He said, but you're not asking me can you bring something back from the dead. You're asking me whether or not you can bring something back that died a long time ago and is the cave. And that's the question that he's asking you this morning. Do you believe that God has the power not only to bring new life and salvation, but does he have the power to raise up something that's been dead for a long time so long that is decayed oh, Jesus It had to be at least 15 years ago. I was in, in the UK, in, um, in London, and um, one of my pastor friends there was, um, we were going to a meeting, it was a Saturday night, I can still remember that part, and I'm in the car, he's driving, and I think his wife and somebody, somebody else was in the car, and it's at nighttime, <clears throat> and we headed to the meeting, and um, he said, you see that building over there? I said, yeah. He said, I said, I said, you mean that club? A big, beautiful club. He said, yeah. He said, he said, you know, that used to be a church, right? I said, really? He said, uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting. We went down the street a little further. You see that over there? I said, what? He said, that parking garage. I said, what is it? He said, that used to be a church. He did it four or five times from the short distance from his house where I was staying to the church. 
Now, along that time, I was studying stuff because I was in school and I was watching certain things and, um, and certain trends. And I said, huh, this is interesting. And what I knew about the UK was in the 1950s, the UK was the number one missions country senders in the world. In other words, if you're going to meet a missionary in another country, they were going to be from the UK. More than not. By the time he told me that, two to four percent of their population go to church on a Sunday morning. So from 1950s to the early 2000s, it shifted from being a church where we get this identity here in America that serves God to being completely backslidden as a nation. So then I was in school, and they started just telling me some other statistics and stuff. I said, oh, this is really interesting. I said, huh. I said, I don't think we're that close to that. I don't think that. And then I started noticing some other things. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to show you a church right here. Bring up that picture, please, for us. That's a beautiful church right there, building. You can't see it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, she got a glass on, why can't she see it? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a beautiful church building. It's not in the far cities, it's Decatur, Ponstillion Avenue. As a matter of fact, somebody said, yeah, Ponstillion. As a matter of fact, um, it's United Methodist Church. My son in law is United Methodist, and I always tell him, I say, you know, your denomination will be extinct by the 2040s. And um, about two or three years ago, I was just driving by, maybe two, going through Atlanta. I said, huh, no, they didn't. Go to the next slide for me, please. It's no longer a church. It's condominiums. They kept the steeple, and they go for 800 to 1.2 million. Next slide. Next slide. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. You should see it. <laughs> Next slide. I know. My Lord is right. I'm not paying a million dollars just for that. <laughs> Next slide. I've been coming up a little bit. Okay. Next slide. Is that it? Okay. I said, this is something. And then if you watch the news, I'm going someplace still. I'm not finished. Thank you. If you watch the news, you guys know of a mega church called Potter's House, right? Okay, with their location in Denver, Colorado, um, it's closing permanently. And they are a 32-acre site, and a retail developer is building 500 residential, pair, residential paired homes and apartments on 32 acres, including a five-acre park. That was reported two weeks ago. And what I can tell you was, and they, they will tell you it's because of the pandemic and it's an old building, this kind of thing. That church has, has been there longer than the Potter's House had a name on it. It was a different church in Potter's House, whatever. So it's over 30 years alone. It's a mega church. But what I can tell you is that it wasn't the pandemic. Because the K doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And, and, and so... And so the question that God asks Ezekiel is the question he asks us today. Can these bones live? Because the bones ain't just about one part of your life. The bones are about the life of my people. 
Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. He said, can these dry bones live? Can these dry bones live? Because what I know is this. The state that the church is headed in in this country and in Western countries is going like this long before the pandemic. I mean, long before the pandemic, like, like a nosedive, like, like really, like. And then the pandemic came. And so the question that God says to his people is, can these bones, can a church that has lost its influence in the land, a church that where the church at one point was the focal point, that's the reason why they had steeples, because the church was the focal point of the town, the village, or the city. That's the reason why it was the tallest steeple in the air that everything looked at. If you're going to Snellville, the First Baptist Church in Snellville, that's from the 1700s, 1800s. If you go from any direction, you're going to be looking at a part of the building as a focal point for a city. And see, it's not about the building. It's about the community that was once vibrant around the building. And God is saying, can these bones live? And so when people tell me, well, it's not a big deal. The pandemic hasn't really hurt. Churches, a lot of churches are doing okay financially. You may be doing fine financially, but here's the thing. You've not, it's not the finances. Have you lost community? The vibrant community that the church went in, where the church was the center of influence. When I was coming up, you know, I'm getting older now, but when I was coming up in the north, this is a big deal. I can remember when nothing was open on a Sunday. I mean, you can go to the hospital, but it, I mean, there was really nothing open on a Sunday. By the time I got here in Atlanta in 94, Brandon was on uh, Little League and Pee Wee and all that stuff a few years later, and I can remember... Uh, them saying, we don't have practice on Wednesdays because th th that's the day that folks go to church. Now you got practice on Wednesdays and you got games on Easter. Because it didn't happen overnight, it happened over time. The church losing its influence. Losing its light, losing uh, the, the fact that God has called us to be in the time of darkness, to be light to folks who cannot see, to be light to folks who do not have hope. And in the middle of it, we're watching a church that once was a place of community, that once was a place of priority, that once was a place of, of togetherness. We're watching them it just become bones. And so God says, can these dry bones live. And I already told you, he doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know the answer. I'm so glad because, you know, I feel like we're like Ezekiel in a lot of ways. We're saying, I don't know, Lord, you know, but I don't know. You may have come in here this morning and you feel like, I don't know if this marriage can live. I don't know if this relationship can live. I don't know if this body can live. But God is saying, you may not know, but I know the plans that I have for you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know my power in your weakness. I know what I have intended for you. I just wanted to ask you the question to bring you into the conversation. But it's already been decided. It's already been determined. It's already been planned that that which is dead shall live and that which since the cave shall be put back together and restored again. These dry bones shall live.
not only can God bring life to what's died in a moment, but also to what's decayed over time. I told you when we first started the year that God is going to bring life into his church. And I tell pastors this next thing all the time. I said, you know, the church of Jesus Christ is going to go on. I can't promise you your church will. But the church of Jesus Christ will go on. Not only can God bring life to what's died in a moment, but also what's decayed over time. Breathe that one in right there. You know the reason why you need to receive that one? Because in your mind you've been trained, and we've been trained, or we think that God is only interested in that which is right next to us, something that just happened, something that we just lost. Oh, he can restore that, but we never think about what he can bring back that is from a decade or two ago. See, I'm, now I'm talking to somebody because see, when you understand that it didn't die overnight, but over time, over time, my faith died and is decayed. Over time, visions and dreams have decayed and are rotten. Over time, aspirations have decayed and, are, and God is saying, I'm not just going to deal with the stuff that happened yesterday and overnight, but I'm going to deal with some stuff that happened over time too. And I'm going to give life to that too. I'm going to breathe into that too. I'm going to bring that back together too. I'm going to touch that too. I'm going to speaking to that too. It's not just what happened this year. It's not just the pandemic, but God is after some stuff that's been dead for a long time. Some stuff that has not had life for a long time. Some stuff that's decayed for a long time. God's going to cause some of those things to pop up in your life, to pop up all around you. Ezekiel would have said, oh, surely, God, yeah, yeah, he could, you know, even God ain't got to do that one. I could just go in his name and raise up somebody from the dead. My, my peers have done it. I've, Elijah done it. Elijah did it. I could, that didn't run. What, what? 70 years? Very dry. And here's Jesus showing up. Because, you know, sometimes you have a prayer request. He don't come when you want him. So I know these two sisters that had a prayer request. Now run along, go to Jesus, and tell him that our brother Lazarus is sick. I know that if you come and praise for him, he'll be healed because we've seen that. I've seen that happen overnight. Jesus. Mary and Martha want you to come pray for Lazarus, who's sick. Now, by the time he gets to Jesus, Jesus said, oh, it's good that I wasn't. No, let me go for She says, oh, don't worry about the sick part. Lazarus is asleep. The disciples, just as clueless as they could be. Oh, that's good if he gets some rest. He's dead. By the time the message got to Jesus, he's dead. Then the Bible says that Jesus, you know, when you have that prayer request and you want to come, come right now, Jesus, that's all I pray. Come right now, Jesus, right? He's like, the Bible said he stayed where he was a couple more days. Then he comes showing up. By that point, forget it. I don't even want the prayer request anymore. He's dead. He's sick. He's gone. Forget it. That's how Mary and Martha are like, you know what? If you had been here, I want to ask you. I paid my tithes and off you didn't even show up. Just thought I thought it out there for you. Martha, 
Do you believe that your brother rides up? Yeah. The sweet by and by? Jesus weeps. We won't even go into that part. Come on, let's go. They go to the tomb. You know the story. You was part of the Christmas projection. (laughs) And Jesus says, he says, to roll away the stone. In that conversation, (laughs) I forget which is, I think it was Mary. One of them says, hold up. You've really gone a bit too far. Now, you know, he stinks. Now, they're not just talking about body odor. They're talking about decay. Because I'm working on it. Because somewhere around 48 hours, the body's going to start stinking and smelling. Because things are starting to decay. The organs are beginning to decay on the inside. Well, Jesus got there on day four. Remember he decided to wait? He decided to wait two days? He got there on day four when he knew that he was already decaying. <laughs> and, and, and so one of the says, don't do it because he yet stinks. He says, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. In other words, arise, get up and come out of that grave. Get up and come out of that tomb. And the Bible says that Lazarus got up. And what Jesus wants you to know is not only does he have the power to raise up what's dead in our lives, but also those things that are broken down and are decayed. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how bad it sticks. God is able to still raise up and give new life into dead and decayed things in our lives. Time is not important to God. It's important to us. God is not in a hurry. He ain't got that much, you know, he, whatever he want to do. He doesn't live in time. He lives, he's transcendent over time. That's why it's like, you know what? A day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Now, I know I'm in a hurry a lot of times. That's, that's true. You're in a hurry a lot of times. But God ain't in a hurry, right? But what he's trying to teach us is that it doesn't matter how much time. Because, see, our faith has a lot to do with what we see. Well, yeah, it's too late now. But who said? You or God? Under whose calendar is it too late? Under whose calendar is it too late? Because, see, with God, it, it didn't matter if it was day four, day one, or day 40. Not only can he get up those things that have died over time, but also those things that those things died overnight, but those things also that have decayed over time. He's got the power to bring them up. If we don't get this, we're going to think that God is only able to help us with things that have just happened in our lives. That same power that deals with those things that are happening and just happening in life is the same power that can fix and raise up and restore the things that have happened and have decayed over time. Y'all ready? I'm almost there. So I want you to notice how God begins to bring restoration to 
his people. He's very specific. I mean, I would just think he'd say, you know what, Ezekiel, what's up? I'm going to raise Israel back up. Go tell them. Same basic message. He said, no, no, I'm going to be detailed. You see them bones that all separated? Because all the Israel separated from each other and disjointed, all confused and lost and lifeless. I'm going to bring bone together with his bone. In other words, I'm going to bring the right bone to go to the opposite bone. It's his bone with his bone because this bone doesn't belong down here. So I'm going to bring this bone and connect it to this bone. I'm going to bring each bone with his bone. And because I know it's been a long time, because I know that it's deteriorated, I'm going to cause tendons and muscles to come on it. I'm going to do this thing in order. And after I put the tendons and the muscles, then I'm going to cover it with skin. But I know that even after I cover skin, it's just the body. So if I got to go back to square one, if I got to go back to, to Genesis chapter 2, if I got to go back and breathe life into this body and cause it to live, I'm the same God that created it. I'm the same God that can sustain it. And I can also resuscitate it. I will breathe new life into the dead thing. And it shall live. And you're going to know that I am God. Now I want you to watch this. Deterioration doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time through process. That's the first part. Y'all got that? Okay, the bigger part. Restoration doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time through process. Let's get the bone. This one here. Put that one on. Okay. We're going to deal with this one. What happens when the body is missing hands next week? Put this. <laughs> so, one of the reasons why we don't see restoration, hear me on this one. Believers don't see restoration because we embrace miracles but not process. So when it doesn't happen overnight, oh, forget it, it ain't going to work out. I give up. Why even bother serving God? He ain't come through for me. I don't even like you no way. I don't even why I come here anymore. You start going through all those, all that self-talk in your head because the enemy knows that God's going to do restoration. He does not do restoration overnight. God does restoration over time. He restores my soul. It don't happen. You wake up, oh, I'm restored. He restores you over time. It happens through a process. This is the reason why he so specifically laid out how Israel would be put back together again. And if you don't know that, you'll give up in the beginning of the process because you don't have a quick miracle. So go ahead and write this down, that decay happens by default, but restoration happens by design. What does it take for something to decay? 
All you have to do for something to decay is nothing. Do nothing to your house and come back and visit it 10 years later and you'll see that your house is decaying. Do nothing with your neighborhood association and let them do nothing. Your neighborhood will decay. Do nothing with that school building up the street and the school building will decay. Do nothing with the bridges that we drive on day and night and day and night and overpasses. Do nothing and they will decay. Why? Because we're in a broken, fallen world. And the minute sin entered the world, so did death and decay. Even so much so. I was reading the other week about how astronomers, for the first time, what, they knew it happened, but for the first time, they actually were able to see a star die. I said, that's how bad it was when man fell, that the sting of death reached the stars. Because everything has been touched by sin, the sin of man. And so in order for something to decay, you don't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, if you want decay in your life, don't do anything. Don't exercise. Don't take care of your house. Don't wash your clothes. Don't shower. You're going to smell decay. Hmm. But when you start bathing, you only do it. <laughs> if you want decay, just don't do anything. Right? Because it happens by default. That's the default mechanism on your computer, on your phone. Default is, if I do nothing, this is the outcome. That's why the enemy wants you to be so discouraged, because when you're discouraged, you usually don't do anything. And then it just keeps on decaying. Why bother? I'm going to be sick anyway. Why bother? It's not going to work out anyway, and it just keeps going. But what God says is the joy is to this, that restoration happens by design. So when you have intention, intentionality behind it, and you start doing what Isaiah talks about, line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little, and you start putting the word of God into practice in your life, over time, dead things come back to life. Over time, things that have decayed have vibrancy. Again, over time, there's restoration in our lives. But you got to remember that it's not a miracle but a process. It was designed. And so, beloved, this morning, if there's something that's not working right in your life, if there's something that is dying in your life, if, there's, if your passion for God has weaned out, and if a relationship is dying in your life, I need you to know that just because God didn't give you a miracle overnight doesn't mean he won't restore you over time. And what I would encourage is this. I wasn't going to tell you my of time. I'll just tell you real quick that God will use what's been left over, bones. So he'll use what's been left over, leftover bones, and he'll use what's been lost, and he'll add it back. Well, you ain't got skin, but I'll, I, I, can, I can hook you up. You ain't got tendons anymore? I can hook you up with that too. So God will use what's left over and what's, what's lost, and he'll put them both together and breathe life into something that's dead. And guess what? It's for the intention that you will know that I am the Lord. Yeah, because, you know, you couldn't do this for yourself, right? And I can't do this for myself, right? But it's some things that God can do. And when God does the things that only God can do, we have to just stop and say, I know you, God. It ain't me, it's you. 
I know you're the Lord. I know you are God. And, and so I don't know about you, but if, if you're struggling this morning and, and, and you're thinking, you know, uh, I need God to breathe, understand this final thing, that the reason why, one of the reasons why he, he uses the breath there without going all too, too deep on it is real simple, that he was not just saying to Israel, I'm going to restore you physically to your land and physically as a community, but I'm going to restore you spiritually. I'm going to, and, and I believe that. I don't care what other, you can have financial restoration, but if your spirit isn't right, you're not going to get very far. You can have relational restoration in your family, your relationships, but if you're spiritually not restored, you're not going to get very, you're going to be back in the same valley of dry bones again. And so what I want to encourage you this morning as we stand and pray is that God wants to bring restoration to you spiritually so that you can stick to the process of what he wants to do in the other areas of your life. And so you can be part of the church that does arise. Because I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the heads up with the spoiler alert. The church of Jesus Christ will arise with or without me or you. The church of Jesus Christ, the real church, the real one. The church of Jesus Christ will arise with or without impact. So we've got to decide if we're part of what God is doing in this hour. And if when he spoke to the generations, if for such a reason he's brought us into the kingdom, or we're just going to watch what he's doing. And I have a feeling around some folk that actually believe that God has called us for such a time as this. I believe around some folks that say, it's our time to arise. It's our time to get on board with what God is doing. We don't understand all of it. We can't explain all of it. But we know God is moving in this hour. And whatever you do, God, please don't do it without me. And that's what I want to pray for us this morning. Because I don't know about y'all, but I come too far to miss what God is doing. I remember being in the 90s, and we would come up on Y2K. Anybody remember that? I think it just bring that back. That was a lot easier than the pandemic. <laughs> but um, and just the idea of we were going into a new millennial. And here we are, 22 years in. Y'all come on up. 22 years in. I don't want my passion to be any less than 22. 22 than it was in 92 or 2002. And certainly not than 21. Because I just have this feeling and this belief that God didn't choose to bring me in, into fruition in the 1800s or the 1700s or the first century when Christ walked to earth. But he brought me in for a time such as now. And I don't want to miss what he wants to do in my life and what he's doing in the world. Because God is moving. And I'm going to encourage you to be more aware. Listen to what I'm going to say here. Be more aware of what Christ is doing than what COVID is doing. It is a major distraction. I, and I have been distracted myself. But I know the description. If I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding... And all my ways, he'll direct my path. I don't have to worry about the next variant that's coming or the next vaccine that's coming. That's, it's almost irrelevant in the sense of something bigger than that has already come. And my hope is in him. And so when we find ourselves just watching, 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 take that same intentionality, take that same almost discipline that we use to watch COVID and shift it to Christ. 
And I'm not just talking about Sundays. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. Shift it to Christ because he wants to move in your life like you could never do. And I know a God, because he's done it for me many times, that has done exceedingly abundantly above all I could think or ask. If I had time, I would testify about dry bones. If, if, if I can bring up almost any one of my family members and give them a mic, and they would tell you about our family's dry bones. And when nobody, if they were so dry, nobody was even thinking about them anymore until God restored them. Oh, you missed that part. Are you hear what I'm telling you? When you see God bring together folk, that didn't, weren't connected with each other. Folk that didn't grow up together. Folk that didn't, you know, could have had reason not to talk. And you share Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, and you go on family vacations, and you love each other. Guess what I know? These bones can live. He's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for anyone that believes. So when I'm preaching this morning, it's not just a lesson. It's a testimony that I know. And so I don't care what the air is in your life this morning. That seems so far gone. I've been there before. And looking back, I can tell you now that God is able to cause life to come into those dry bones. Can we pray this morning? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for who you are. God, what you've done for us, your grace and mercy, we don't deserve. But thank you that you richly give to us anyway. I recognize, Lord, that many of us have come in, Lord, with dry bones, and they're so dry that we've buried them that we, we don't even think about them anymore. But I know there's things you want to move in our lives for, and you want to bring new life to things that have decayed over time. And, Father, help us this morning to know that power that you have that's at work in you and also at work in us. Help us to partner with you that what you want to breathe life into, Father, those areas receive the life you want to bring to it, God. You are the initiator in this scripture. Be the, continue to be the initiator in our lives and in our story that when it's all said and done, our bones can tell a story of how good you are and how faithful you've been to us over our lifetime. Thank you, Lord, for bringing New life, Lord, spiritually, Lord. I pray for spiritual restoration to those present, to those online, where we have, Father, uh, decayed in our walk, where, where, Father God, we don't have the passion that we had before. We don't have the fervor, Lord God. We don't even have the desire to get up and go. That we, you, God, I pray that you would breathe back into us new life, Lord. Breathe back into us, Father God, that passion, that fire, that longing, that desire, God, that feeling, that, that spirit, God, that you place in us, God, to want more of you. I pray, Lord, specifically for Impact Church, that when the enemy tried to steal and is attempting to steal community from us, that you would stop him in his tracks, God, that we would partner with you and refuse to let the enemy, refuse to let COVID steal community, that we would not be separated, Lord God, that we would not stand apart from each other, God, that, but there would be genuine connection. Help us, God. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for restoring our soul, God. We give you praise. We give you honor for it now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.